You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. If you have the opportunity to go to different churches at times, you realize that the singing part of worship can be interesting. And it's such a joy to be able to be in a house where it is such a blessing. It is such a blessing. I just can't say it enough. I am uh, on plan C right now for a sermon. Okay, I, <laughs> I had my line and I loved it. And when I went to prayer conference, it changed. And then last night, it changed. <laughs> and I'm good with that. I'm very good with that. And so last week, we asked the question. We were asking, will you still stand in the audacity of faith? Will you still stand in that? And so I have a question for you this week. Will you worship when you're in the wilderness? How do we deal with life when we find ourselves in the wilderness? There are going to be times that you walk into this house that you don't feel like swinging from the chandelier during praise and worship time. There are going to be times that you walk in here and you're just trying to find the strength to take your next breath. There are going to be times that you walk in here angry because you may have questions. See, there are going to be times that faith is hard and doubt can be easy, that frustration can flow, you feel, but you struggle to see God's power flowing. Times when doubts can seem huge and confidence can seem small. We can get into this rhythm where we come to church, and if church is not like this big pep rally for us, then we can walk away wondering, where do I fit? What does this mean for my faith? And it can be dangerous when we do that, because when you get to that point, you may wonder, I don't know if that's for me. Oh, you may be talking about CLC. I don't know if CLC is for me. I don't know if Christianity is for me, some people may say. If you do not find your faith footing, you will walk away from the things that you hold most dear. Find your footing. I can't find your footing for you. Pastor Nip cannot find your footing for you. As much as I would love that. When the storms come, when the wilderness comes, that's the time when we need to look deep inside. There was a social media announcement from one of the chief songwriters of a world-renowned worship team. I wanted to read to you what he wrote because he found himself in a wilderness and here was his response. He posted online that he wasn't renouncing his faith. He admitted, though, that he was on shaky ground. He wrote this, How many preachers fall? Many, but no one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it, he said. He wrote, why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be loved but yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. 
Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet, yet they can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people. So there was a plus, but then he said, it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth. I don't want that I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow me if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. All I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity just seems to be another religion in the world. I say that because there's a deception. The devil's looking to deceive. He's looking to deceive the person who accepted Jesus Christ last week, and he's looking to deceive the person who has been in church their whole life. That's what he's looking to do. He's not pulling any punches. He's looking to take others down with you. He's looking to use influence in a way to try to inflict the most damage. And my question to you is this. What do you do? What do you do in a world where that type of attack is on? What do you do when you walk in and you don't necessarily feel like praising? Oh, you may not be at the point of renouncing your faith, but you're kind of wishing that God would give you a break. There's a character in Fiddler on the Roof that says, I know, I know, we're your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? Do you ever feel that way? Just being real honest here. Don't get lost in the wilderness. When you don't know, if you're at a place where you say, I don't know what to pray. I go to talk to God and I don't know what to say. Have you ever been there? I challenge you when you get to that point. To pray God's words back to him. To open your Bible and to begin to repeat his words back to him. Because see, the word of God is alive. In Hebrews, it says the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. It's living. At the very moment that it left God's mouth, it was alive. It's just as alive now. Every time you repeat it, it echoes and it hurts the devil's ears. Every time you say it, it speaks truth into existence. It manifests itself actively. When it's spoken, it not only is in the room, but it begins to shape things in the direction that God has seen them all along. Psalm 23, oh, it's familiar to us about God being this protective shepherd. Psalm 68, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Psalm 91 talks about the people who dwell in the secret place of the Most High and what God's going to do. Psalm 103 beautifully describes God's character. It starts out with, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. When you don't know what words to use, get out God's word and read it. And sometimes you may read it and the tears are falling on the page. Sometimes you may start reading it and you may think, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. You don't need to know what you're doing because it's God's word and he's already done it. 
Psalm 63. That's where this kind of hit today. It's a psalm of David, and I love when you read in your Bible, and it gives the little subtitle there. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness in Judah. In the wilderness. When I think of wilderness, I think of trees and misty mornings. I think like, let's bust out the s'mores. Let's go get mud on our boots. It's not what he meant when he said he was in the wilderness. He had spent a lot of his formative years in solitary, if you will, on the side of a hill. The same man who would sit there and take care of sheep and fight off lions and bears is the same one who would sing this. The Lord will not abandon his people. He will not desert those who belong to him. That's what he said in Psalm 94. He's the same guy when he was sitting out there on those lonely nights that would think about Deuteronomy's words in 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God that goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. The wilderness that he was facing, it looked this way. It was between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. It was this area which was known as the Negev. It was barren and it was desolate. It was very dry there. This, this wilderness. Now, if I said to you, hey, want to go there? Yeah, for like a minute. When it comes to the wilderness, you may find yourself in a spot like this. And you may ask yourself, how does a guy like David, a man after God's own heart, how does he find himself out here in this wilderness? Oh, well, let me tell you. There were two times he ended up there. The first time is when Saul wanted to kill him and he had to flee there. The second time is when his son tried to overthrow him, declare himself king, make an army, and David had to run. And so you think about David's two times in the desert. Neither one was just like this weekend trip. Both would be running for his life. Scholars are divided over the fact of whether it was the first or second time that we're talking about when David wrote this psalm. When I read about it more, I'd like to think that it was kind of the second time that he was there because he talks about himself being king. And because the way that he respected Saul, he wouldn't have used that term yet if he wasn't king. And so here's David. Either way you look at it, first or second time, it wouldn't matter much because it comes between these two truths. It's either my mentor trying to kill me or it's my son trying to kill me. There's no vacation there. Either way, the guy's in a bad situation. He had to be feeling like deja vu. Here I am again. The truth of the matter is, though, he was much older than he was the first time around. If the wilderness wasn't fun the first time, imagine it not being fun this time. Here he was. What do you do? What do you do? The other night, that movie Speed was on with Keanu Reeves, and that's all I thought was Dennis Hopper. What do you do, hot shot? What do you do? And I'm thinking with David in this moment, as he's here, these words come forth. 
O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry, weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night." You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life, they will go down in the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of all liars will be stopped. Now, there are times when you find yourself in the wilderness, and there can be four reasons, and there can be more, but I know four of them, and I'm going to tell you. Sometimes when you find yourself in the wilderness, it's because of circumstance. Do you know what got David in the wilderness with Saul? Doing things right. When he stepped up and was obedient and he took on Goliath, things changed. Saul started to look at him a little bit differently after that. The songs people started singing about David kind of got under Saul's skin. He found himself in a place because of circumstance. That could be us. Sometimes it's sin. David's life is literally an open book. The Bible, you can read so much about it. And David's sin with Bathsheba led to terrible things in his life. It led to loss. It led to the prophet Nathan coming to him and saying, the sword will never depart from your house. It led to the problems that he would see. Sometimes it can be sin. God doesn't unscramble eggs, as we've said before, but God will forgive. And as God walks with us, we need to understand the wilderness isn't forever. Sometimes it's Satan. If you believe that there is spiritual warfare that goes on, then there are going to be attacks that come. If you believe that, and if you truly believe it, then you know who wins. And you know, oh, Another attack. No one rejoices when they're getting attacked. But we sure rejoice at victory. Know the victory's coming. And sometimes it can be the Spirit. It's said in the Bible that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Something to keep in mind is that David did some of his best work in the desert. Sometimes God's all you have, and that's all you have to work with, and you will do good things. Sometimes the wilderness is the war. Sometimes the wilderness is the place where your weapons are formed. But know that God is there. God is there. It was in the wilderness that Moses and the children of Israel were, where most of the law was written. It was in the wilderness where Elijah heard from God. It was in the wilderness where John the Baptist, that most people would think was crazy by his appearance and things he would do. It was in the wilderness that he began to refine. Even Jesus himself found himself in the wilderness. And when I see Jesus in the wilderness, you know how I look at it? I look at it like the weigh-in before the big fight. I look at him just nose to nose with the devil, like, it's coming, devil. 
It's coming. It won't be long. It's coming. When you're in the wilderness, it can strip you of your defenses. It can make you feel vulnerable, but it makes you quiet before God. What do you do when you're in the wilderness? Do these things. Define who God is to you in the moment. In the first verses that were in that 68, he went from, oh God, to my God. That is huge. When you cry out, are you saying, oh God, are you saying, my God, I know your plan is for good things. Again, there may be times that you're saying, I don't get it, but my God, you have this. Hebrews 11.6 says that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. You, if he exists, then he wins. If he exists in my heart, then he wins. If I don't believe that he exists, then I have a major theological problem going on. You need to desire God more than the things that God gives you. That's a tough one. Okay, so you're in the wilderness, and what are you saying? God, get me out of the wilderness. No, God, I want you. I want you. Because I'll tell you what, the best day without God is not a good day. I want you in this wilderness. My soul is thirsty for you. I want you more than food. I want you more than water. I want you more than comfort. I want you. You dwell on his faithfulness when you're in the wilderness. David made this statement. He said, I have seen you in your sanctuary. A little history lesson. The temple hadn't been built yet. When David says this, he's saying, God, I saw you in the tabernacle, which was in the wilderness. I know you were faithful then. I know you're faithful now. When I saw you, you are the same God, and you're going to take care of me. David says, you've been my help. Do not scoot away from God in this moment. I think about this. Old couple riding down the road in their old pickup truck that they've had for years. The wife says to the husband, we don't sit as close as we used to. Old bench seat in the pickup truck, right? The husband says to the wife as he's driving, I haven't gone anywhere. And I think times that we ask God, where are you? We need to look where we're sitting on the seat. In the wilderness, declare what's true, even when everything around you may say it is not. That's tough. You declare the truth. Verse 3 says, because of your steadfast love being better than life, my lips will praise you. As he's running for his life, as he's probably gasping for breath, his lips are praising there may be times that the praise comes out in beautiful psalm-like whispers, and there may be times that you are just trying to get your breath and you're praising God. In both instances, do so with all your heart. I love in verse 5 how he says, my soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. 
You saw the picture. There's no fat nor rich food right there. That is the audacity of faith. What lies before me right now, oh, it may look like a bunch of scrub brush and desert to you, but you know what lies before me? I see cheesecake. What lies before me? I see ice water. And not just regular ice water, but like that fancy European ice water. That's what I see before me, devil. And in faith, that's how we need to start speaking. You need to declare it. Oh, it may seem bad right now, devil, but you aren't looking where I'm looking. Oh, oh I, I hear what you're trying to say. But obviously, you don't know where this is going. Before I had heard this thing, and I told you, if you cannot explain it to a six-year-old, do you really understand it? And so that got in my head. Being a parent who has, in my life, stepped on many Legos and many Thomas the Tank Engine trains, I thought, let's use it. Facts, faith, and feelings. When I first wrote that down, you know what I thought? I thought, Beats, Bears, Battlestar Galactica. If you don't watch The Office, you wouldn't know. But facts, faith, and feelings. Facts are the things that you know about God. It is a fact. God did this, and it is factual. It is the thing that will pull your little train. I love in this how the train looks like it's been chewed on, probably in the bathtub, thrown out the car, there are times that the facts, you may think they took a beating, but it's still the facts. You might be tempted to think in a situation in church that faith is what pulls the train. Faith can only be as strong as the object that it's connected to. Let me repeat that. Faith can only be as strong as the object it's connected to, meaning my faith in Jesus Christ is in a redeeming king who lived and died, who rose again, who defeated death, hell, and the grave. Those are facts, and that's what my faith is attached to. Faith? Oh, it's kind of like the little passenger car that I've also stepped on. Faith is where you live. It's where you walk, sit, move, rest, Work, relax, talk. It's where you sit back sometimes and you watch the scenery. Faith is where I live. My faith is getting pulled by the facts of what God has done and is doing. And behind that, we have the caboose. The caboose is your feelings. So many times we can get this little three-car train all messed up. We can begin to think that in some alternate universe that the caboose pushes the train. We can start to think that what we're feeling is the most powerful thing in that equation. There's no power in my feelings. There's power in the facts, and there's power in faith. So the next time you step on your children's toys, maybe ask, what is God trying to tell me? <laughs> your feelings would have you stay in line with faith if you plug into God and you stay plugged into God.
couple more things, and then the worship team, I'll call you up. Don't worry, I'll be inconspicuous. Determined to focus on God. We can get our focus on the wrong things, but when you focus on God, I love how he says, I will meditate on you in the night watches. Oh, at night. The Hemingway quote, it's awfully easy to be hard-boiled about things during the daytime, but at night, it's a new thing altogether. Sometimes you can think you know your line until you wake up at 3 in the morning and you're, you're thinking. With this, I'm reminded of one day when my son and Aiden were here and they were sitting in the youth room and they were probably playing video games and it was dark in the fellowship hall and in the hallway. And I went down because I was going to be taking them to get something to eat. We were getting ready to leave and I look in and I see the light on and, well, the little red Fred Flintstone on my shoulder is like, hit the door really hard, so I did. <laughs> and so I walk away and I gave him, you know, about 20 seconds just to stew. And I come back around the corner and look in the window and Liam's eyes are like ping pong balls, right? <laughs> Because when things look dark, we get freaked out. When things are dark and we hear something, like, what was that? What was that? Determine to keep your focus on the things that are true. Determine in the night watch that you know who the guard is. Determine during the night watch that the same things were going on during the day now it's just a different setting. Now you're not getting sunburned about the whole thing, and God is still in charge. Rick Warren said, if you know how to worry, then you already know how to meditate. And that is the truth. The final thing here is to express confidence in God's ultimate justice. Oh, I could jump on this one. God has the final say. God has the final say. Man can talk, but God has the final word. God will do what God's going to do. David declares that he would wait on God. I wanted to end with this. The next time that you find yourself facing a wilderness, what I like to do is I like to line it up with something that has happened so that I know God is doing such incredible things. In your life, you can line up all the things God has done for you. I like to hear these stories of things that God has done for other people and think, wow, God. There was a man. His name was Andrew Brunson. There's Andrew. He was an American missionary in Turkey. In 2016, Andrew was imprisoned for his faith, and he spent 735 days in a Turkish prison. That's a wilderness. You know, we live in a country where they speak of due process. In other countries, not so much. When you go over there and you represent Jesus and you find yourself in a prison, what do you do? 
He wrote a book about his experience, and it was called God's Hostage. He gave this interview, and the line that jumped out immediately when I read the interview was this. There is a human story, and there is the God story. I say it to everyone in here. There is a human story and there is a God story. What you feel, what you think is going on, and what God says is going to be may look like two totally different things. And I'm going with God on this one. He described his time there as a total loss of control. He said it was very scary. He was saying, God, you're the only one that's keeping me here when I have... Well, I'm desperate to get out. I'm full of fear. You're the one who could release me, but yet you're not doing it. And I have to believe you're doing this to toughen me up. And so I was having, it was taking me to a crisis of faith. The interviewer said to him, did you feel forsaken? At times I did, he answered, and I was very surprised. Many of the biographies that I have read about people that I would call Christian heroes, my heroes, they were very strong people. And I expected that when I was suffering, I would also have that strength. And instead, I felt very broken and weak. Has anyone here felt broken or weak? Is anyone in this room right now feeling broken, and weak in places, then you're in good company. Because, see, we tend to think, if I'm in a fight of faith, I'm going to feel like Superman. He's saying when he's in the biggest fight of faith he's ever been in, he felt broken and weak, but he was trusting God. Jesus said we're supposed to rejoice when we're persecuted for his sake. So I said, I'm blessed to actually be suffering for his sake. And that's when I felt, and I love this, I felt almost a holy defiance. We didn't know when we were going to the final court session, but you know what? This one ended up being the final court session. I didn't know that I'd be released. He went on to say that he would pack two bags. He would pack one bag for home and one bag to go back to prison. But in faith, he goes to this trial, and it says, within 24 hours, I went from being a convict to standing in the White House. The president himself intervened for that man. God has the plan. Where you are standing now and what you're looking at, that quickly it can change. You can go from a place of absolute fear to literally the most protected place on the planet. And so as I close, I want to say this. Ask God to show you right now which car you're trying to use to drive your little train. And when he answers, don't get mad. Link them up the right way. And next, I would ask this. When we pray in a couple of seconds here, remind the devil what God has done in the wilderness before.
I will never, as long as I live, forget standing in a pick you waiting room and hearing the most pure praise go up that I heard. Devil, what God has done, what God has done. Cover your ears, devil, and it won't help. Because see, it's going to cut through you because it's alive. It's coming. It's coming. And so for everyone in this room, whatever you're facing, start reading back to the devil the list of things that God has done in the wilderness. Start reading it back. And oh, the thing you were worried about, the thing your heart's broken about, God's got that. Let's pray, and then we will worship together. God, I know you've got this. Father, right now, I pray that you would be beside each person in here. That you would whisper to them all of the things of remembrance that they need in this moment. Because I know you can make a pile of lions and bears. And Lord, I know that you can take Goliath down as well. In this moment, God, I speak your peace over every person in here, and I pray that your will would be done. I pray for that audacity of faith to rise up and to take back those things that were stolen. In Jesus' name, I speak life. I speak future, and I speak victory. Amen and amen.